Am I right, sir, or am I wrong? Welcome to the podcast. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Make sure that you share the podcast. Tell a friend about the podcast, download the podcast, and most importantly, subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment when it's great. Uh, Today, we have special guest John Middlecoff, the host of Three and Out on Colin Coward's podcast network. And this dude is a fantastic follow on Twitter. Make sure you follow him, John Middlecoff. We are going to talk about all the things that you want to hear. NFL, college, and the NBA in China. We're not afraid to ask the questions and talk about the important things on Right or Wrong. Let's get started. Right or Wrong is graced by Mr. John Middlecoff today. He's the host of... Three and Out with John Middlecoff, part of the Colin Coward Podcast Network. And this man just surpassed a million downloads in last month. And I don't even think he knew about it. I I was the one that broke the news to to him. He's a former Eagles scout. You guys, make sure you guys check out his podcast. He does a great job. He's opinionated about everything. But not only is he opinionated, he's a smart man to to a boot. He's a great follow on Twitter. John, welcome to Right Story Wrong, man. George, what's happening, man? How's it going? Man, it's going good, man. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out this whole uh, media landscape and everything because it's literally changing in front of our our face, in front of our eyes. You did a million downloads. So before we even get started with anything else, what is the secret to making great content for podcasts? And you, and you do your live stream uh, almost every day. So what is what has been your secret to your success? I'd say the first would just be associated with Colin. You know, I mean that's that that, that doesn't hurt at all. Uh, you know, he puts it out on his feed, which is really huge. And then obviously, you just talk about football, whether it's college or the NFL, and the uh, you know the the appetite and the amount of people that care and are interested is huge. The great part about football, probably different than the other two sports in t- today's day and age, is. You know, you and I are Pac-12 guys, but we can talk about Alabama and co- people will care, you know, and same with the NFL. Like, I, I, I don't care about the Lions, but everyone waking up this morning at, at the office or on Twitter is talking about the game last night. So it's just it's just a very national sport and people just I, I think the the kind of influx of fantasy football and gambling, you know, a lot of people that might be, quote unquote, casual fans of just sports in general just pay attention a little closer because they got guys on their fantasy team. They may, you know, even if it's $10, if you just put a $10 bet on something, you're kind of keeping an eye on it. So I I think the NFL does the best job of just kind of marketing to everybody. And they've just, they've been lucky. Part of it is just the sport of football, right? You just play one game a week. Uh, So every game, even in the NFL, where a loss doesn't like cripple you from the playoffs, but a lot, it is a big deal. And we just dissect every game where, you know, in basketball, if the Lakers or Warriors lose a game in December or January, it just doesn't really matter. Where in football, it's just different. Yeah, yeah, of course it doesn't. It doesn't matter when if you have a great team, a great team, they're going to they're going to lose 22 games and win 60 in the in the NBA. Exactly. Well, think about your squad, right? The Dodgers, they how many games they've won, like basically their regular season these last three or four years has not really mattered. They've been so good. They just dominate. You don't really have to keep track of every pitch, every game, but we only then we care about the playoffs that we we talk about like it's the NFL. 
you know. Yeah, these dudes have won 300 games in the last three years. I know. And they, don't they, have a World Series. It is I know, they're incredible. kicking ass and taking names. It's crazy. Yeah, dude, I, I said it. Uh, I was doing uh, five, 570 with Petros here in L.A. a few, like a week or two ago. And I said that if the Dodgers lose, like they are now the Buffalo Bills of the ML, MLB. I mean, it, it, it's just like it sucks to have a team that's so good and you continue losing. But I want to talk uh, to, to you because you mentioned the NFL rules, because obviously there was a big controversy in the Lions Packers game and the and that illegal hands to the face that really wasn't an illegal hands to the face. But it but it got called. And I look at it and I'm like, NFL referees seem to be held to an impossible standard. But that has to be the standard, though, right? I, I completely agree. I, I think we all, unless you have money on a team or a diehard fan of a team, understand that the bang-bang plays are tough to call, right? You know, a, a goal line stand, where the ball actually is, a bang-bang a PI call. I, I think we all kind of get that. But last night, the two calls, I could even live with the first one where it did screw the Lions because two plays later, Rodgers throws a pick. Or I mean a touchdown. Yeah. But but then the guy then Trey Flowers, who learned how to play defense under Belichick, has never been called for that in his career. So he's not like the Vontez Burfitt of hands to the face, right? It's not something that he does. Because he he's literally never been called for it ever. And you, you've been in one on one drills your entire life as a player and yeah, you've been it, around it, been online. That where do defensive linemen put their hands? They don't put them on your hips. They put them up top. Yep. So It's close to your face, but it clearly was not on his face. And the second one to me was basically it felt like they were just throwing the game for the Packers because at least we don't know if the Lions would have won the game, right? But they would have got the ball back. Yeah, for sure. And if I was a Lions fan, and especially like before I was in college or something, I'd be devastated today. I'd be thinking the league is out to get me because – it kind of feels like they handed that game to the Packers. So I, I do get on plays like that where it's just – it's not really a bang-bang call. The, the back judge sees the line every snap. He knows what it looks like. To him, it's much more clear. And for him to call it twice, it, I would have understood if it was another call, right? Yeah. Like defensive holding or offsides or whatever. But it was the same call on the same player, and it was the same play. Like he didn't – he did the same thing. He didn't do it. Yep. See, see, I when when I look at officiating, okay, so I, I I coach my kids flag football team, and we are a physical flag football team because I always tell to tell the kids, look, <laughs> we're gonna make the officials call call us for being too physical because at some point in time, officials, same thing in the NBA. If you have a super physical team, they just it's just natural body uh mechanics that you don't want to keep throwing flags and keep calling the same thing over and then it becomes a tolerance for that physic for that physicality and and it seems like the NFL is having some serious inconsistency with their with their calls in general. Yeah, and I I think the hard part is to when you have it on nationally televised games, if it's a Monday night, Sunday night or Thursday night game, so many people are watching and it becomes like you you can somewhat get away with it if that game had been Sunday morning, you know, a 10 a.m. West Coast kickoff. It still would have been a big deal because it had it has playoff implications and really ramifications because the Lions, I think we all, if you just watch the Lions play, go, damn, they're pretty good. 
but that loss yep. could be the difference of them being eight, seven, and one, or you know, nine, six, and one, and maybe getting a six seed. Like that's that loss. It could is really, really big for them, especially it's a division rival on the road. That's that, that would be tough for me to stomach if I was a Lions fan or or a Lions player. If I was the head coach, I I get he learned under Belichick, and you know, you don't want to freak out in front of the media. But I was a little shocked Matt Patricia last night didn't kind of make a stink about it, you know? Remember when David yeah. Fisdale with the Grizzlies, take that for data? Just kind of oh, yeah. just draw a line. Yeah, just draw you, a line in the sand and at least make your case. Correct. Greg Greg Popovich is a master at that. And other like veteran NFL coaches in the in the playoffs. Remember Phil Jackson when he was with the Lakers? He was yes, the best. It, at it. And then you know it's weird because if he says something like, oh man, they called a lot of fouls on Kobe today. The the next game, Kobe's gonna finish with one or two fouls, max. Like, and he could be hacking all game. It's just the way it works. But I but I saw a tweet from uh Pro Football Talk, and <laughs> it was hilarious to me. It said, Here is what incompetence oh, here's what incompetence in officiating does. It gets people thinking that the league may be getting back at Lions coach Matt Patricia for wearing the Goodell clown nose t-shirt after soup after the Super Bowl. While extremely unlikely, horrible calls opened the door to conspiracy theories. What was your take on that tweet? Well, the first reaction, like everyone, is kind of laugh. But then if you take a step back and you think about it, if you were the back judge, I don't know how much the back judge makes. Let's say he makes 250 grand, 300 grand. That's still a pretty damn good job in America. If your boss, and ultimately you might answer to someone else, but Roger, Roger's the boss. If in the back of your mind, you know that Roger hates this guy and hates this team, I don't think it's as crazy as you might think when we all just read it and kind of be like, oh, Florio, that's nuts. Then you're like, well, we're all humans, right? Uh, Now, it's probably unlikely. You know, these things, it would be hard, like, if there was, let's say, like, memos going out, like, go after Patricia. Like, I don't think that's happening. But we are all humans, and, you know... Yeah, I mean, what if you know your boss might like that? Yeah, yeah, there's a wink and a gun going on, like, good job, buddy. And you know that they don't find the officials, which people and players have have asked for. Oh, they they should be fine when they make mistakes and all of this. And I'm just like, there should be some sort of, I guess, not like accountability or some way to really know – that you're always getting the best officials, particularly in the playoffs. Like, like, well, what, what about what about if we did this? It's no different than players. Like, you have players on the practice squad and free agents that you you know you bring in during the week. So at any moment, unless you're like a highly paid guy, you can kind of be replaced in the NFL. Yeah. What if there, you need like let's say whatever the number is, sixty working officials throughout the week? What if you have a hundred on contract? And you can get like soccer like relegated if you have a couple bad games. <laughs> you now you can down, you can earn your way back, but something like that. Yeah, man, you get sent down to college football, and then and, and not, <laughs> yeah. not even to the power power five schools. They're going to send you to the Mountain West or the AAC until you yeah, you play like back. Tulane, Memphis. Yeah, 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 and see if you can get your way back. Um, it, um, I want to move, move on to the players though. So, so you have so many players. I mean, especially in college. You have so many hot shot players that come out, big name players. Like now you got Baker Mayfield in college. I mean, with, with the Browns, he's not quite having as much success 
as so many people would have thought after his rookie year. He's having almost like a sophomore slump. And I always talk about drafting players, you know, that that teams that draft well, that do well with their first round draft picks generally are winning franchises and continue to win teams that don't and continue to miss miss. So I always say draft a player by and you are a former Eagle scout. So you've seen so many guys come in and out. I always say that the optimal way to draft is to draft players by their floor instead of their ceiling. Like, look at what is the worst thing that I can get, especially with your first your first and second round picks. What's the worst thing I can get? If the worst thing that I can get is a starter for five or six years, then I'm drafting that guy instead of drafting the guy who may turn out to be a Hall of Famer, but he also may turn out to be a, a nothing player as well. I think if you are a consistent playoff team, like you, I think the Colts take that philosophy. It's why Luck retires and they're still good. Because they don't have, like if you look at their team, they don't really have superstars. I would say they're one beside Quentin Nelson, but you know a guard can only do so much. They're really dynamic players. T.Y. Hilton and Ballard inherited him. But for the most part, they just take high floor guys. And with high, you get high floor guys, you just get solid starters, right? You may not get pro bowlers, but you get good starters that you're not looking to replace. I think the problem, I, I hear what you're saying, and if you're a playoff team, like a team that's always drafting in the 20s, so it means every round, like you're basically the first, second, and third round, the ones that really matter. You're drafting at the end of those rounds. I like that philosophy. And I, and I think more than not, you're going to maintain winning. You know, assuming you have your starting quarterback, right? Yeah. That's a star. Then you just build around with a bunch of solid players. Maybe eventually you can make a trade for like a Jalen Ramsey, Khalil Mack type guy, but you just have a bunch of solid guys. I think the problem with that philosophy in the, in like, if you're a team that, like, let's say has back-to-back years in the top 10, that if you do miss on the high floor player, it looks really, really bad. I think we can stomach, because you're going to miss, Just it's just you're dealing with humans, right? So not every guy is going to be a good player. But if you do hit on the high ceiling guy, you get, you get Khalil Mack. You know, you get Julio Jones. You get a player like that. Now, those are probably bad examples because they were easy well, to evaluate. They, they, they had high floors, though, too. I, I'm trying to think of like a, like a Ziggy Ansah. You know, he was a guy okay. when he came out of BYU that was – they just swung for the fences. Now, it, Yeah, he definitely had a low floor. Yeah, he had a low floor. But injuries – it was clear like he had – once he got rolling, like he was a Pro Bowl-level guy. Injuries derailed his career. But, you know, Deion Jordan is a guy, I remember, out of uh, out of your school. Oregon. Yeah, he yep. was he was a high-ceiling guy, but his floor turned out to be really, really low. Now he had some off-the-field issues. You know, I, I think more and more GMs are trying to balance that. But, like, when I was in Philly, you know, Coach Reed and the way we thought, I mean, we were taking swings. And I think when you hit on enough of them, I, I think it, it it's based on your resume – so, like, if you've had success with him, you keep going back to the well, right? He's hit with Deshaun Jackson, LaShawn McCoys. Now, even Mahomes was a big swing. And he's consistently done it, so he's going to keep going back to it, and he's comfortable with it. Like, Belichick did it a couple times back in the day, and he doesn't really mess with it anymore. He just takes high floor guys for the most part. Now, yeah. So, I, I think there's just – if you do take the swings on the high ceiling guys – John Elway is a good example. These last four or five years, he's missed on the majority of them. 
And oh man, dude, he's horrible at drafting offensive guys. Yeah, horrible. So I, you know, I, I think it's all on the individual. The the Packers' philosophy. You know, I, you see this with John Dorsey, and you see it with John Schneider, and Reggie McKenzie was like this when he was in Oakland. They're big on the height, weight, speed guys. So they, they're going, they're less, they don't care about the floor. They just sign and see the ceiling. And those guys can have some terrible drafts. But they also have the ones where you're just hitting like a walk-off home run in the second round. You know, some like a five-time <laughs> yeah. pro bowler. So, you know, I, you have a valid argument. And I think a lot of people think, and they, those conversations are had. I just think when when you're on the clock and the rubber meets the road and you're looking at the Ziggy Ansa relative to the other guy that's like, oh, that guy will be a solid linebacker for us. You, it, It's just it's just a natural reaction, right? You're like, I want to go for the pro bowler. Yeah, it's crazy to me, though, that teams spend so many months preparing for the draft and they evaluating players, all of that. And then I, and I've actually seen the wall on the on the war rooms when when I was playing, I, I, I went into the wrong room. And I saw the war room wall with all the the, the the stickers, everybody's names, height, weight. I was like, wow, this is impressive. That was the first time I'd ever seen it. Yeah, it's and a lot of, it's a lot of names, think, man. Yeah, and then to think that, that you spend all these hundreds of hours or a thousand hours preparing for this draft to, uh, based upon the scouts, the general managers, coaches, all of this stuff. Yeah. So many hours. And then you get to the draft day, and sometimes that plan just goes out the window. I, I that's a I, bunch I, of wasted time. One problem is like the draft. If you think about it, the last college games are played what, like the first week in January, the national championship or whatever, or that you buy like no latest the tenth. Yeah. The draft doesn't happen until the end of April, so there is so much time in football where we're evaluating these guys at all star games. Now the all star games they hit a little bit, but the combine, the pro days, where football is then secondary. If you did a draft in like the middle of January, I think it would look dramatically different and probably like what you're talking about would probably have less misses because coming off the season, everything's fresh. And then by the time you get to like April and you're doing the pro days, some of the coaches that it, that if you're if you if I walked into USC or – Oregon or wherever right now, I'm going to get a pretty raw reaction from a coach, right? He's going to tell me about the guy's strengths and weaknesses based off his games, like what's happening on the field, his practice. But by the time I get to like March or April, it's a little more mellow. And the higher that guy gets drafted, the better that coach or position coach or coordinator looks. So it just, the, the, like the narrative on the player can dramatically change and it can mess with your mind as a scout, as a GM. And just, there's a time that's what I think makes it complicated is because you get so much farther away from football. Like right now, everything, most of your evaluations, if you just went to 90% of the scouts around the league on the college players are just based on their ability and maybe some character stuff too, but it's just how they're playing. But we know once the combine comes, it comes about like, well, he didn't weigh him enough. He didn't run fast enough. Then we start talking about that crap. No one's talking about that now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Your uh, your 40 time no. does not matter. All that matters is on film, like I don't care about speed. Like honestly, a lot of times I'd like to turn on the film. If it's an offensive guy, is he getting run down? If he's not getting run down, he's fast enough. If he is, if he's consistently getting run down, then obviously well, I think, I think a issue. good example would be like the the running back from Arizona State, Eno Benjamin. 
who you just watch him. He's just yeah. making plays, running over guys. I bet though when he runs, he's gonna run like four five five, and then everyone will be like, "Oh, he's not quite fast enough." But it's like, the, yeah, the guy's a really good player. You know, if you drafted him in like this <laughs> yeah, mid second or whatever, you're probably getting a starter. But he'll probably end up going at like the end yeah. of the third or maybe early fourth, and then that team will get a steal. You know, it's just the way it works. Yep. Um, what what is up with your boy Freddie Kitchens, man, and the and these Browns? Cause I mean, everybody was mad at Hugh Jackson. They they hated Hugh, and then they bring in Freddie, and they're like, "Oh, he's he's going to be a genius." We got all this, and everybody was predicting that they were going to be a playoff team. And I was like, "Uh, how about no?" Prior to the season, because these just hand them the trophy teams, they don't win. But look at, I mean, even when they're seasoned teams like the Warriors last year, granted there was injuries, the Alabama. Last year, uh, just 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 hand them the trophy, greatest team ever. And yeah, how about they got blown out in the, in the against Clemson? Same thing with Duke. Oh, Duke's gonna go undefeated. Zion and all the rest of the character, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, they're gonna go undefeated, and then they get knocked out. I think in the Sweet Sixteen or yeah. Elite Eight. I mean, same thing with the Browns, except for on top of that, the Browns have no idea how to win. Like they have nobody on their team, pretty pretty much, except what. Barnett that's been on a winning team at yeah, all. I, I think the example you gave with all those teams, they let us down for the championship, but at least they were all locks to be like the number one seed, you know, to host playoff games. Like I, I think we jumped the shark on that with the Browns. Like who, when have they in my adult life, they, they haven't made the playoffs. I think they've had one winning season the last 20 years. And then let's just, I, I like Odell Beckham. He is a elite talent, but he's been on one winning team in his life you know, in his NFL career, and that didn't go that well because they got punked in the playoff game against the Packers. That was the day when he went down to Miami for the boat. So then you look at Baker Mayfield. I, I George, I thought last year in the offseason when everyone was putting him on like the top tier, it would be like Rodgers, Brady, Russell Wilson, Mahomes, and Baker. I was like, this what? is insane. Yeah. And, and, I, and I like Baker. I Coming out of college, I thought he was a good player. Liked what he did last year. Like I was bullish on him. But people were putting him way too high. And I, I thought uh, I was at the Monday night game a couple weeks ago, and they looked, the team looked lifeless. They were terrible. And I, I, I put that probably more on Freddie. You know, Monday night game, have your team prepared, have some trick plays or whatever. Like, that's on you to get figure that out. And they were getting destroyed up front, so Baker had no time. I watched a Seattle game yesterday, and I thought Baker played terrible. His his accuracy yeah. was awful. And some of the picks, when you go, well, it hit the guy's hands. Well, if the guy's running full speed and you throw it behind him, and even if the guy has questionable hands, if he's got to reach behind, that's a really tough catch. So, like, Correct. I, I and Baker, Baker wasn't drafted number one because he looked like Carson Wentz or could throw it like Mahomes. It was because he was really, really accurate. And he's not – right now the problem I see – He's not very accurate. Like his his comp was yeah. kind of like Drew Brees. He was going to be a pocket quarterback. He has a better arm than Drew, but he was just going to be lights out accuracy, like throw like 70%. To me, that's that's the problem right now. His balls are not going where people thought they would go. And the cockiness and all that yeah. stuff is great. But if you can't throw a basic slant route or an out route and hit the guy in stride, we got problems. Yeah, that's for sure. Because because what do I say? Ninety percent of interceptions comes on tips and overthrows. Well, think, and think about this: they're two and four right now. They're on a bye. Then they get the Patriots. 
I don't think the Ravens are that great. Like you can tell, Lamar still has a long way to go. But I, I'll say this: I, sure. I appreciate Lamar. He doesn't say crap. He just works. He struggles. He doesn't like blame anyone else. He just, he's just a humble, hardworking NFL player that has some flaws. He's working through. But the Ravens are four and two, and yeah, the Browns beat them. But one team's two and four. One team's four and two. Like that's. It's hard to make up a couple games. This isn't baseball. You don't play every day. So if they get like a three-game lead yep. as we get to November, the, the, the Browns oh, no are catch. screwed. Yep. Yeah, and and, it, and it's going to take probably a 10-6 and six record to get well, into the playoffs. How are the Ravens in, not going to go 10-6? and six, Just the way they play, the ground and pound. Like It might yeah. be ugly, but they'll, they're going to get to 9-10, where if you start looking at the Browns, you go, well, you lose the Patriots next week, you're 2-5. and five. You got nine games. Then you basically got to win out, and you got to win eight of them, and you got to yeah, win eight just, of that's them. That's not going to yeah, happen. About, yep. Uh, you, so, so if you had to put the so you have to blame one person, Freddie, Freddie Kitchens, or Baker Mayfield. Who who takes the grunt of the brunt of the of the John Middlecoff? How blame? about I go off the beaten path and I go with the guy that hired Freddie Kitchens because I can't blame Freddie for being offered a head coaching job and quadrupling his money yeah because everybody would take it you know you take it i'd take it you know it's just a lot of money if you're a coach and you're a position coach. i get it but for if you have a team that you know is pretty talented and that's the thing the browns i'm watching them against seattle you subtract russell wilson like the browns got more dudes and they're getting out toughed i blame the gm who this guy john dorsey had been around andy for five years had been around the packers he knows what it looks like so you could have had, like, you had a sexy team. Like, people wanted to be the head coach of that squad. And he went with this guy. And so that's, you know, clearly Jimmy Haslam gave him the power to make the hire. He was a big, sexy, you know, GM hire when they fired all the analytic guys. And he hired this guy. So I, I, I'm going to start with him because I, I can't blame Freddie for being a bad coach. He had never been an offensive coordinator till like, midseason last year. What? What do we th- expect? Like getting Bill Walsh Jr.? That, that wasn't really going to happen. <laughs> and even Baker, like the cockiness, some of that, the commercials, I, I understand why it rubs people the wrong way. But at the end of the day, he's still a second-year player. Like second-year players struggle sometimes, especially at quarterback. So he may end up not being that good, but it, it's hard to tell right now. So I, I'm going to go with, you, you know, why Why not? I don't know, you know, Lincoln Riley or a guy like that wouldn't have taken the job, but there were other coaches out there that, that could have been hired, and he just he just chose to go with you know Baker's friend, and I think they're getting burned right now for it. Yeah, I totally I totally agree. But but you have so many teams trying to hire these young hotshot coaches. Or you got Sean Sean McVay, obviously, which has been a huge success with the with the Rams. The in in Arizona, you got Cliff Kingsbury, who is doing. I mean, he's doing obviously a pretty good job. It seems seems like what yeah, are they, two, three, and one. Kyler's a good player. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he 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 helps out a lot. He had a video game play this weekend that if you were doing it on Madden, the the one where you spun around in the back of the end zone and then threw through a strike, that if you were playing on Madden, you would say the game was cheating. Yeah, he 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 may look really small and he's easily the smallest quarterback I've ever seen, but he throws darts. I mean, he he's got a hose. You know, his arm strength is not his problem. And like you said, dude can run around like he's a little Michael Vick. He he can fly. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, what um, what do you think about well ab- about those young hot hotshot coaches? Because the NFL is kind of a trend, you know. Like you get all these coaches, you got McVay, 
Kingsbury, Kyle Shanahan, Matt Matt LaFleur. Like, is this just a phase, or do you think the NFL that there's a big changing of the guard in the league right well, now? I- I think it's a little changing in the guard just because of the rules. So it's it's basically impossible to play defense, right? Because you get flagged all the time, as we saw last night. But it's not even just last night. It's just you just watch the NFL. You, hell, you can watch college, and they just it's hard to be a defensive player. So the quarterback now, from an economic standpoint, makes so much money. It kind of makes sense to hire an offensive coach. Now, if you're going to do that, you can't just hire an offensive coach to hire an offensive coach. Like, clearly, McVay is big time, you know, and same with Kyle. But, like, Matt LaFleur, I'm watching his team last night and going, Rodgers makes some incredible plays still. He's one of the best players ever. But they're a defensive squad, and he didn't hire the coordinator. They just left. Pettin was just a holdover because he was so good. He's been Rex Ryan's right hand. Like, Mike Pettin's a good defensive coordinator. So how good is Matt LaFleur? I, I don't know. I don't see yeah. great. And he, even <laughs> Cliff – like you said, like I watch Cliff, they can't really run the ball. When they make sweet plays sometimes, Kyler just kind of goes backyard football. And they play, yeah. even they won on Sunday, but they won 34 to 33. They don't stop anybody. They, that's not really a, a way to play. Like I, Kyle and, and, uh, and McVay to me are on a different level. I know Sean's struggling right now, but they are kind of old school. Like they, they love running the ball, they'll slam it down your throat. They clearly defense means a lot to them. I mean, Kyle's loves drafting and, and signing defensive players. McVay, they pay like Wade Phillips a couple million dollars a year. So I, I they're not your typical like really like Coach Reed. You know, he's more likely to just throw bombs nonstop. That McVay and Shanahan are are much more like coaches you'd probably see in the eighties. If it's working, they'd run it every play, which is not normal for quote unquote offensive coaches. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, I want him and I want, uh, Lane Kiffin to co-author a book called, called failing, failing up the key to upward mobility. Cause these two dudes, I, I have no idea how it's, it's weird. Cause it bothers people a lot of times. I'm just perplexed by it. I mean, even though, even if he has success in the NFL, I'm always curious how people don't do great jobs or don't have success. And they still end up in just getting opportunity after opportunity. It would have been one thing, right, if he had been, if he had been the head coach of like USC or Ohio State and just had one bad year and got fired. You'd be like, well, he's a really good coach. He, you know, he had been drafted before in the NFL. I can see it. He had been at a much, you know, one of the smaller Power Five schools in Texas Tech and hadn't won at all. It, it really is pretty wild. I'd say it's even crazier than Lane in the sense. That when Lane got like the Raiders job, you like you could blame Al Davis. Then he got the t- Tennessee job, and he only stayed there one year before he bounced to SC. I, I I think the Cliff one was just. I understand where coaches, you know, that have been putting in time get bitter, like because it is kind of BS. You're like, are you kidding me? This guy and the irony, like you said, like he might actually not be that bad. So he he might be able to be the Cardinals coach for a little while. But we'll see yep. once he starts playing L.A., San Francisco, and Seattle. We'll have to have another talk about that because it it might look a little different. Yeah, and and some, some some of the people who get bitter about it, like you were saying, are the assistant coaches who put in work and have had great success at, the, at at their job. And some of those guys, in particular, like the league is always tinkering or trying to figure out how to make 
the uh, Rooney rule work with the with the blackhead coaches yeah. and the black offensive coordinators and all this stuff. And I, I look at these things and I say, all right, obviously it's not okay to put in, well, in my in my opinion, to put in like a mandatory amount of people that, that you need to hire from a certain race, ethnic group, any or or gender, any of that, that you should be trying to find the best people. But it's weird because it's like, how do you handle it in a in a good old boys network when everybody hires their their friends? Yeah, it's weird because like I see both sides of it. You know, you've been in these around these coaches your whole life playing college and in, in pro. It like never comes up. Like I, I've seen bad coaches that are white. I've seen bad coaches that are black, and I've seen bad good coaches on both. Right? It just it's all over the place. And you see guys that are like I think that guy's a really good coach. He never gets a shot. I see that guy's a shitty coach, and he becomes an OC. And, you know, you think it's just like it's just kind of random. But then you see the other side when the hiring cycles happen and none of those guys get jobs. You're like, that's kind of unfair, especially when guys that are undeserving consistently get them. You know, and now the experience doesn't mean anything. I do, though, believe that the cream always rises to the top. So if you are kind of a fraud, you will get exposed, especially in the NFL. I also like for the guys that complain, once you become a coordinator in the league, the money is so like, yeah, it sucks. You're not a head coach, but you are getting like $1.2 million a year to be a coordinator. It's not like the eighties when you're making like 75 grand. So you're making yeah. so much cash. It's not that bad. You know, it, it could yeah. be, you know, you, you're still making, you're still in the 1% of the 1%. Uh, now I get, if you are like, you just get pigeonholed as a tight end coach and you, you deserve to break out. Like I get that guy, but the coordinators that don't get a shot, you know, it's like, well, you're still doing pretty well. And eventually, if you're such a good coordinator, it's impossible to keep getting overlooked. Like, I yeah, think oh. Eric Bieniemy in in uh, Kansas City, like, the guy is going to get interviewed. He already has gotten interviews. Like, if he wants to get a job, yeah. he's going to get one in the next couple of years. Oh, 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 for sure. It. I think the thing kind of holding Anthony, I um, mean, sorry, Eric Bieniemy back that he's kind of re- refining is Eric Bieniemy because he's 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 rough to handle, dude. <laughs> like he's rough in some of the rooms. And even when he was the, I think he was a running back coach at UCLA. I mean, like some of the some of the stories I heard coming out of there, some of the stuff he said, I was like, oh. Oh, buddy, you you can't get away with that nowadays. Yeah, buddy. he's got he's a little rough, but that, the, the best thing that ever happened to him, right, is go to Andy Reid. Just go to Andy Reid yep. and become his right hand guy. And he started as a running back coach. And the good thing about starting with Andy down at the bottom of the totem pole, guys will get jobs and you'll just work up. And now you watch a Chiefs game. Andy's letting him call plays. Like he's he he's got a pretty good gig going right now. Yeah, I, I look at the at um. Where, where where people scream racism and all this stuff about there not being enough black head coaches and all that. Now nowadays the way that the NFL is trending with the offensive coordinators becoming the head coaches and defensive coordinators not quite getting as many opportunities and there being more black defensive coordinators. I I look that's at good, it that's like, a great point. And and I look at it like like this. The reason why you don't have as many black offensive coordinators is because so many of the offensive coordinators now were were quarterbacks. And for so long, like the the NFL, everybody knows the the history that 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 blacks that the the black players weren't really allowed to play quarterback that much and they didn't think that they had it. But nowadays, for so for the last 10, 
15 years almost, you've seen an influx of more black quarterbacks, which then leads to the Byron Leftwiches, who are now the offensive coordinator at at Arizona. I'm sorry, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. And then you're going to start to see those quarterbacks who have retired become coaches and OCs. And then you'll turn around and see that it's just a, a process that people don't really understand. I didn't even thought about that. That's a great point. Like there is going to be several more Byron Leftwiches because look, like uh, Bruce Arians is a good example. Like his staff is very, very diverse, and he one of his guys got a head coaching job, Todd Bowles, but he was a defensive guy. You know, even like Mike Tomlin's a good example. He was an offensive player in college. I think he was a wide receiver, but his whole coaching career they moved him to defense, and he obviously never looked back. He just became a head coach, but. Like a lot of guys, sometimes if you're only in as a coach, if you're not like a quote-unquote quarterback in college, might be like, hey, you can be a quality control guy, then it's going to be on defense. And that just might propel your career so you just stay on defense. And then the way it's you know kind of fickle, now it's flipped in defensive head coaches. You're just not hiring them. And it's not. We, we got a lot of good – the Seattle, uh, Keith Richard, I think his name, the guy was Pete. He, he's been good for several years. Uh, you got guys all around the league that you know it's just going to be it's just going to be these owners don't want to hire defensive coaches which i think we can understand whether we agree with it or not it does make sense right just that that oh, logic totally agree. you know yeah. of offensive coaches but it's just going to take one because there aren't an unlimited amount of offensive coaches and if some of these guys like if Lincoln Riley doesn't bounce to the NFL, which I don't think he's going to for a couple of years, probably. Oh, hell, that would be ever. crazy. Like, I don't, I don't get why co- like coaches all for some reason, they want to be NFL coaches. And I'm like, a, you can make more money in college. B, you can become a legend because coaching legends are made in college, not in the NFL. And you can also have like job security st- stability, not have to be moving around 50 times. I don't get it. I would rather be a college head coach, be successful. And if I'm Lincoln Riley, I'm not leaving Oklahoma. Well, if you're, if you're Lincoln Riley and you're 36, you have a family, you're making six and a half, seven million dollars to coach Oklahoma. You're kicking butt and making the playoffs every year and you're recruiting class. Well, you could have that job for like 25 years, you know, and you could have that job forever. It'd be, I think back in the day in like the nineties when the money was a lot different, I, I understood it. But now, I mean, Saban makes more than probably 90% of NFL yep. coaches. So is Dabo. So, hell, Lincoln does. Like, the I, Anthony Lynn makes like $3.5 million. You know, Lincoln makes that in six months. Yeah. So, I I, I agree with you. I, I don't think Justin, some of these Justin guys. Justin Wilcox now makes $3.5 million at Cal. And he's not think coaching how crazy, the Think how crazy that is. <laughs> yeah. Know? And, hell, he's a, he's a good coach. I, if you look at it, there actually are a lot more defensive coaches. If you're a defensive coach – Go to college. Go become a head coach in college. Uh, the dude that went, the Mel Tucker came to Colorado. Like defensive coaches are getting hired. Herm Edwards getting hired left and right, even here in the Pac-12, the quote unquote offensive conference. Defensive guys everywhere. Yeah, and you and in the Pac-12 in particular, you have to play defense. And I, it's so funny when I talk to go on podcasts or radio shows on the East Coast. They always talk about there's no defense played in the Pac-12. I'm like, have you seen Oregon, Utah, and Washington play ball? Like, have you not seen it? Well, think I think that's how Herm turned around Arizona State so fast. Oh, and Arizona he, State too now. He, he went like, yeah, we could just spread it out and try to win shootouts, or we can just kind of zig when everyone's zagging 
and play really smash mouth football. And it, it, it's Cal's doing the same thing. And that's why they, that's why they hang in all these games, even if they lose it. And then if you get good quarterback play, like Arizona state has with this kid, uh, Oh, Jalen Jay, Daniels. Yeah, Jaden Daniels. He's special, dude. He God. is special. God, he's 18 years old, just balling. And he's uh, only like a buck 65. And you know they're going to recruit skill guys because Herm and, and Antonio Pierce are going to roll right into L.A. And I get texts from some of my buddies that work in college football like, oh, Arizona State got another one. They got another one. Especially with the L.A. schools being down, they're going to land a couple Robert Woods, Marquise Lee type guys that maybe they wouldn't have got five years ago. So – I'm telling you, Arizona State is my playoff sleeper in the next couple of years. I, if this quarterback I, keeps getting better and they land some big recruits, watch out. I totally agree. I mean, because recruiting matters, and obviously uh, in, in the Pac-12, the top recruiting schools right now are Oregon, Washington, and Arizona State. They're, and, the, and think about the North is hard, right? If your worst team is Stanford, that you're just like, I guess Oregon State is, but yeah. like Stanford, Cal, if you got to play both those two teams, like those, that's just tough games. Washington, yeah. Washington State are loaded. Obviously, Oregon, big time. It, it, Arizona State looks like UCLA stinks. USC's in transition. Utah's tough, but they, they play a specific style. So if you can just attack that specific style, you can get them. And Colorado's just also in transition. So in Arizona, Arizona's not great. To me, the South is just dramatically worse than the North. Oh, for sure. It, it's not even like if you took Cal, I mean, with with a healthy Garbers. They could win the South because they're they're deep one hundred percent. Their defense is big time. People don't realize it that when they watch them, if you look at quarterback stats when they play against Cal, nobody plays well. I mean, when, when you were nobody. playing in the Pac twelve, was it? I know it wasn't North and South then, but wasn't the South teams like UCLA and USC were no joke? Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and obviously Arizona State wasn't bad. Yep, it was. It was. Yeah, it was tough. yeah, yeah. It was tougher in the South than it was in the North, big time. Because even when UCLA was winning six, seven games, they had like ten NFL guys on their team every year. So it was just, it, it was a tough out. Yep. Uh, one of the, one of the last things I want to get 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 you on, John, because I, I you always have great insight on so many things, even outside of football, NFL, college foot football, the talk of the town really has been over the last what week and a half since a tweet went out that literally has changed the entire landscape of the NBA uh, is the NBA in China. You had Daryl Morey send out his uh, send out the tweet about his support for the protests in China. And then you had James Harden come out and apologize, which was weird. And I hated it. Um, And then you've had people like LeBron James, Steph Curry really be and Popovich and Kerr, who've been very outspoken about domestic issues, but have been mum about this. And then you had LeBron come out and say, I believe that Daryl Morey was misinformed and not educated on the situation. And that, um, yeah, and that he's uncertain about the ram- ramifications about Morey's tweet and other NBA players. What is your take on the situation? I think my overall take, and I'm someone that loves in the, the NBA. The basketball might be my favorite sport. I think the NBA these last several years have just told us too much what they thought about too much stuff, you know. And I like these guys, and I, I think the majority of the NBA, even unlike the NFL, who has some bad apples, like most of the NBA guys are harmless. I mean, they none of their guys ever get in trouble. They really are good people. And I, you've been around them because with the Warriors and the Warriors are a unique team. Like they've been, they might have like the highest character guys in the league. 
They really are good guys. But I think they've made a point because Twitter gives you such, you know, approval to go extra hard on some of the domestic issues. And listen, we all agree there's some craziness going on here. But there's always America. The world's crazy. I think on this issue, they've kind of branded themselves like they're like Elizabeth Warren mixed with Bernie Sanders. So when you brand yourself like that, and then you have an issue come up that's strictly about money, no, no one blames these guys for cashing these huge checks. We'd all do it, and they should. They earned it, they get it, but part of their business is in China. Well, we can just admit China's pretty sketchy. They do shit that we wouldn't tolerate here. Correct. And so you guys know that, and we know that you're keeping quiet because your shoe company, you guys make so much money in your shoe companies, Yet everything is about like all about progressive thoughts and being like Bernie Sanders. But when it came to your money, finally this issue was just strictly would have been an easy one for these guys who were so freaking rich to just be like, yeah, you know, listen, we did this deal with China, but we realized they're so fucked up. We, we got to get out of it. And that's the opposite of what they did. Like you said, James Harden apologized. You could tell LeBron James was pissed off and it wasn't like he was pissed off. Like, were they, quote-unquote, unsafe in China? Of course not. They were in five-star hotels. They were fine. He was mad because it was it's going to cost them money, a lot of money. And it's like, LeBron, everything you try to hype up is not about the money. And now when it comes about the money, you're like, you're kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth. I I understand why people call them hypocrites. Like, that, that's well, fair. See, see, see I, I'm totally in the opposite boat for, for, for a two reasons. Number 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 one, but I do understand why some people do feel like it's hit hypocritical. But but I want to get your take on this, John. Is I I think that you know we we all have different things that matter more to us, and like each individual person, and we we all speak out about certain things that 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 happen, whether they are politically, socially, whatever that that hit a nerve to us based upon our life experience and all of this. So I, I just, I get where people say it's hypocritical, but on the other hand, I'm thinking everybody doesn't speak out about everything. And if you do, you're actually foolish. Like you should speak out about the things that matter the most to you and the expectation that because they speak out on one issue that they're obligated to speak out on an, on Another issue is false. I mean, just I mean, just like the LGBT community coming after Ellen because she was sitting in a in a press box with I mean, in the box with president with former President Bush laughing it up with, with him. I'm like, well, I, 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 I'm in agreement with you can't win. Like if LeBron would have gotten no comment last night, people would have crushed him. I think like Steve Kerr is a good example. His dad was assassinated by a gun, you know, as he was working for the government overseas. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with him on all those issues, but I 100 respect his ability to take a stand on gun. Like I, I, he's all in on it and I don't blame him at all. I think with LeBron specifically though, he has an opinion. It feels like on everything. And he's also branded, you know, the shut up and dribble more than an athlete. And this one specifically is kind of black and white. China treats people like shit. And they make a ton of money from China. I'm just talking LeBron specifically on this one. That LeBron a little bit just look. And again, I I I don't get offended by LeBron's takes because I I know money means a lot to him. Yeah. You know he he loves his money. You just follow him on Instagram. Dude's living literally like a king, and he's earning the cash. But when it when it was going to cost them maybe a little money, right? You've seen some of these stories. It was going to cut it in the salary cap by 15. percent That's a lot of money. Yeah. Now that wouldn't necessarily affect LeBron, but it impacts the other players. LeBron's part of the union, whatever. 
that it bothered them. And I think why everyone freaked out last night is, listen, I'm not a big Daryl Morey guy. I mean, he never shuts up about James Harden oh, and the Lord, MVP and, and all this and other stuff. And he doesn't deserve it, but okay, yeah. No, but like the tweet, like he was just standing up for people's rights to be yeah. free, basically. And it kind of felt like LeBron was crushing Daryl for costing them money despite the tweet. Being being accurate. Know, stay- the, yeah, and, yeah, and LeBron that, didn't, where- didn't say that he disagreed with him he was just like i'm not even talking about about that but here here's what i thought about it i said you you agree though when you brand yourself like the shut up and dribble thing and then when you won't touch this why people think the way oh i i 100 percent understand why why people think about it but i also have to look at the fact of is if lebron or harden 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 apologized that was so lame dude i i was like i was like this is reason number 5683 that i don't fuck with james james hard like just he like, wasn't and the even other in thing it. Is like James, he wasn't even in it. Yeah. <laughs> Have you checked James' career earnings? Like he's already banked about four hundred mil. Like James, whether the money stopped tomorrow, I mean, you got more money than like a yeah. kingdom. You're like, bro, you're good, and you're still going to make cash. Yeah. Here, here is the thing about LeBron and Curry spe- specifically, because Harden, who's with Adidas, he 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 came back on on his knees. So I can't even. I mean, I'm done with him. I was already done. Is it? I would imagine Adidas is yeah. huge in China. I yeah, mean, they all are. but 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 here's the thing: is that people criticize LeBron and Curry and others for not speaking out, but I I, I don't think that everybody took totality of 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 everything that they stand they stand personally to lose tens of millions of dollars because they both own stock in Nike and Under Armour, which both manufacture in China and Taiwan and other areas around uh, around there, and China. Could I mean big, big because you see what they how they did it with the NBA? If either one of them had spoken out, imagine how they would have they they could have crippled Under Armour and Nike by stopping their manufacturing, and then you have tens of thousands of people in the United States lose jobs. Like it's about money, but I think that that people sometimes miss the bigger picture that this is about tens of thousands of jobs. Here that would be lost if China's like, look, we're done with Nike, we're done with it, we're 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 done with Under Armour, we're only producing Adidas because because James James Harden came on his knees, bro. I, I don't blame any of these guys for not touching it at all because I I wouldn't either, you wouldn't either. It's no way. It's one hundred percent smart business. My only issue is just when you when you're over the top on every single issue and you make yourself seem like. Money is not that big of a deal where it's kind of clear it is. Now, again, you're right. This is where the issue gets very complicated. A lot of people are intertwined. You could cost the, you could cripple these companies. Like what if China just said, screw you, Nike, you know, they'd be, they, they, they'd be in trouble. And I think that's where a lot of people are going after LeBron. He's basically just in bed with Nike. Of course he is. You know, they gave him a, didn't they give him a lifetime contract? Yeah, a lifetime contract. It's going to be worth at least a billion dollars. And Steph is, a, Steph is, when you think, un, close your eyes, think Under Armour, the first guy you think of is Steph Curry. He is the face of Under Armour. Yeah, he, company, he owns like 10 or 15% of the company. Yeah, so I, I, I get, I wouldn't, I, I don't blame them at all for saying it. I just think LeBron last night, and again, he would have got crushed for no comment. Would have been better than just trying to give an opinion on Daryl Morey that everyone was clearly going to get Daryl's back when he should have just been like, listen, this is a complicated issue. I've said my piece. The NBA said their piece. And just try to move on. And I think sometimes, and this is part probably of being such a big star and his ego so big and everyone's telling him, LeBron, you can do no wrong. 
Like this probably would have been the right time just to say, listen, it was a complicated situation. I'm glad we've worked our way through it. We're just going to, you know, just try to kind of go a little coach speak. And he, yeah, he might've taken a little heat last night on Twitter. Like, Oh, LeBron, where are you now? But it would have gone away. Now he's kind of like reinvigorated this, this flame. Oh, I, I totally, I totally agree. In fairness to him, it is really hard because Anything he says, and this is obviously a unique situation, but let's say people would have just asked him about, like, what do you think about Steph Curry's team? And he just says, like, talks a little shit. It becomes anything he says becomes a national story. So it is, if I was him, I would just try to avoid the press more often. <laughs> well, just, well, that's kind of why he uses un, uninterrupted because he's like, okay, well, they can't just pick out a sound bite because I can put out the entire thing. So then exactly. I can tell people, no, 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 no. Just just reference what I said because you can't just take part of it then because the whole thing is is out there. But See, the the, pro- the problem is the NBA pays him so much money that they mandate that he talks like four or five times a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I don't blame him for for big because if you think about it, James Harden, Curry, LeBron James, and maybe like uh, Damian Lillard. Well, no, not in, not not even him. They are not NBA employees. They are the employees of those shoe companies. They make more from the shoe company than they do for from the NBA. So you have to be, I mean, because we we are all, I mean, you're on the Colin, Colin Coward net, network. So there are going to be certain things that Colin may be positioning himself a certain way that even that you may say, you, you know what, I'm just not going to touch it, even though I may think a different way about this. I don't care that much. I'm just not going to touch it. 100%. I mean, I've, I I thought about this the other day. I, I don't technically work for Fox or anything, but I've crushed Urban Meyer pretty, pretty intensely over the years for being a fraud. And like, th- there's a chance that I could just be sitting in a green room one day and he'd be sitting there too. You know, and then yep. am I kind of, am I kind of a fraud if I just pretend like, Hey coach, how you doing? Just have a normal conversation. Or do I, do I have to disclose like, yeah, Hey, hey coach, I, I think you've been a little bit of fraud over the years. You know, it's it just, when you talk for a living, and ultimately LeBron does two things, right? He plays hoops and he talks for a living. You get yourself in, you know, weird situations sometimes. Now, the he's unique because he's like one of the most famous people on this planet that it becomes five million times more complicated when he gets involved. Yeah, the the last thing, John, is the NFL um, with speaking of all this, you know, activism and all of this. The NFL, I think it does a poor job when it comes to continuously getting in litigation with its players. And I think it reacts to public perception way too much that that the NFL is now turned in like it's now almost like it's creating a an adjudication litigation arm where it's got to have all these investigators and everything. And I'm like, you're not the police. You're not the FBI. You're not this like. If players aren't in jail, like it sounds like it sucks, but they should be able to play. If you're not in jail or you aren't like in the middle of a uh, I mean, because you're innocent until proven, proven guilty. And the and so I don't understand why the NFL reacts so strongly to these things and tries to. And yes, you're supposed to stand up for for women's rights, care about them, care about kids, care about all this stuff. But at the same time, you are an entertainment company. You are not a a like a a public institution like a, a college that has title nine stuff to adhere to i know if you think about it like imagine if hollywood or the music industry were held to the same standards <laughs> you know people 
people wouldn't be able to make movies or music. I mean, that's music. You could argue that when a guy gets in trouble, it makes his music go to another level. And I think the NFL, you could argue, listen, I've never met anyone, especially in like modern day, the last like 10, 20 years, who is going to be like, you know, hitting women's okay. I think we all agree it's not right. I do get very uncomfortable though. And I saw it firsthand here in my backyard a couple years ago with Reuben Foster when the girl made stuff up and everyone around here wanted him kicked off the team. And then it happened again. Now, granted, he flew her out or whatever at the team hotel in Tampa. They cut him the next day, which I'm all for cutting you if I can't trust you or whatever. They didn't necessarily cut him for hitting her because he turned out he didn't hit her. Yeah. But everyone they, in the media wanted they cut him, like, him for jailed. stupidity. They cut him yeah. for stupidity. And it turns out he didn't do it. It's why even the Antonio Brown, who is nuts, and I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to defend him in the least, but you, me, nobody except Antonio and maybe the girl and whoever else was there would have any clue what happened. So us assuming, I, I just, we assume guilt that that becomes a very, very, that's not the way society works, you know? So it, 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 it it's just created a bunch of, it's just it's gotten a little out of control, I think, with social media, and uh, you know. But for the most part, I, I'd argue, like I'm sure you were a good example. Ninety eight percent of NFL players go, well, I never get in any trouble, so why do I? You know, if you just avoid, just deal with the right people, you can avoid it. It, it shouldn't be an issue. But there are going to be some people, especially some players, who are just, you know, given their background, they just. They make poor decisions with, they put themselves in bad situations, even if they become like they're innocent in the situation that you just, you, you don't avoid because you're just lack of judgment, though you're not a criminal. And sometimes that can cost you a career, but we've had enough issues like Greg Hardy, Ray Rice, that it was like, bro, you, you can't keep playing the league and do that. Correct. You know? Yeah. See, see, I'm cool with uh, that. Like if you get convicted or if the, even like the Greg Hardy, Hardy case where you're just like, come on, come on, bro. Like th- this is just unacceptable that you suspend guys and all of that. I, 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 well, what are you supposed to do? Like if you, let's say you would have been on the Cowboys and they sign Greg Hardy after you know what he did, like you don't really have a choice. Like he's your teammate. Yeah. Just then, show up to know? work. Yeah, you just you don't have to be friends with the guy or go out to dinner with him, but he's just on your team. Yeah, you, know? you are an entertainment company trying to try trying to win games, sell t shirts and and you know, win a championship and help Gary. I, I actually think for the most part, like less and less teams are willing to mess with guys who are legitimately bad people. I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, but I, I think it was probably more prevalent like twenty years like oh, legitimately for sure. no one cared. Yeah. I think I think now it has to be a pretty unique circumstance. Like even Kareem Hunt's a good example. I don't think many people were messing with him. Look at the team that signed him. Was the GM that drafted? Correct. Him, you know, so yeah. I don't think there were ten teams lined up. Oh no, 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 no. I, I I think that teams are very wary of sketchy pass and multiple time behavior. I mean, look at the Cowboys, the uh, the uh, kid they draft out of drafted out of Missouri who hasn't really played. I mean, you, he had a problem when he came out of school, every, everybody knew it. And it's just like, eh, you know, like, do you, do you think Antonio plays in the league again? I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's so freaking talented. And I think that this uh, sexual assault thing is probably going to get resolved. And as soon as it is, they'll give him a, they'll give him a suspension. I mean, he's a unique guy. Cause he's, 
one of the yeah, he's like one of the best players in the league. Yeah. So I mean, but clearly, like he's a dominant player. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If 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 he were Chark from 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 Jacksonville, no, he'd be he'd be done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even if it were Leonard for Fournette, he'd be. Eh, I don't know. He is a running back. It's. When I, and I and I think the thing about Antonio, it's like, yeah, he might, you know, he's a crazy dude. You can't trust him. But he's got two things going for him. One, he's a dominant player. And two, the knock on the Patriots is like, you know, it's a really hard playbook to learn. I, he's there like a week. He already knows it. Like his football intelligence is really high. Yeah. Like that's not his issue either. So he can learn your offense. Yeah. That that's why Gruden liked him. He knew the all, whole offense like the like the second week. Yeah. You know. So I I think that coaches. I'm like, well, we'll just deal with the crap if he's smart and he can play. Well, the only you know? thing that's going to keep Antonio Brown out of the league, I think, is is Antonio Brown and his is, tr- himself, is, yeah. is his trust factor. Because can you trust that this dude is going to show up to work every day? I mean, that is literally the only question. Yeah, because and he, because and he works hard. No. Yeah, because because he works hard. Yeah, it just it just will he get there? Yep. And I, I think that will be like a decent amount of coaches won't want to mess with that. You know. Yep. And that's where I think sometimes the difference, like a GM, I remember coaches used to always say to me when I was a scout, like, it's easy for you to give me the guy because he's a good player. Then you don't have to see him in the meeting rooms for six months. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, that, you that, that, is, that is fair. Because you'd be like, coach, this guy can play. And the coach would be like, this guy's crazy. I'd be like, well, he's so good. Who cares? <laughs> the coach would be like, yeah, I got to sit with him every day for six months. I'm like, yeah, it's I don't. <laughs> oh my god, dude! Imagine, and you know, as a play, as a player, you get around crazy dudes. They can just they, they can wear people out. Okay, not just the coaches, but the other players. It it becomes a draining. Experience. Dude, I will never forget. So uh, we uh, so in Jacksonville, we had John Henderson on our team. Big John Henderson. His nickname was Murdoch. Mind you, I almost got got in a fight with John on a plane. John John's like six seven, six eight, three fifty, three three sixty. Was he the guy in Hard Knocks? He slapped in the yes. face the trainer. Yes, yeah. that's big. That's Big John. So Big John was intimidating. I mean, he intimidated yeah. the freaking coaches. One day after we played since Cincinnati, this was when Mike Peterson got got uh like left the team meeting and was like f f you jack in front of everybody and then he got suspended that day so we we had just finished playing the Bengals, and and uh mike peterson had flexed after we, i think we were down 14 points or something like that and he was trying to get some energy up no yet i think it was 21 to 7 it was still in like the second quarter he flexed after he got us got a sack on third down and Mike Peter and Jack was like, "Oh, we don't, we don't need this kind of kind of stuff. This is toward the end of Jack because he was different in the beginning. And as that pressure starts mounting, you start losing. Don't win. He, he got tighter. Yeah. yeah. So then he goes. Uh, so he says something to Mike Peterson, and then another. And mind you, he never did this, but this game he put up a list of people that he was going to talk talk about on different PowerPoint slides. So he talks about Mike Peterson first. And then goes to uh, then Big John. He did something, and Jack goes, "Oh, oh well, hey John, can can we please not do this?" Blah blah blah. And then the next slide, he says, "Mike and Mike and Mike back here bitching about this and this." And Mike was like, "Man, fuck you!" Like like, oh oh oh, really? You you are scared to say that to John, though, right? And yeah. it just blew up and it was clear like and, and Big John, I think, played along with it, too, where he was like 
he knew that this was happening. So he made sure to make sure that people were intimidated. So he acted even crazier than he really was. He was just like, yeah, no, no. Wait, what? What'd you say? I mean, we called him Murdoch. <laughs> yeah, the, the irony is there ain't one player in there that even blamed the coaches for not picking on him. Nope. I wouldn't have done it either. <laughs> no, man, you leave Big John alone, <laughs> but at least be be consistent. Well, how did any, how did anyone ever block John Anderson? If he wanted to try, he was unblockable. It, it, he was unblockable. And then think about it. Him and Marcus Stroud were on the same defensive line. Yeah, that was. I mean, you, that team on defense had a couple years under Jack, where they were a top three or four defense in the league. Yeah, right? yeah. Jack just didn't. He he came from the Ravens, and he wanted to play that two thousand Ravens Trent Dilfer quarterbacking, like like yeah. that. We're gonna throw the ball nineteen low scoring yeah. went thirteen to seven. Yeah, and the NFL had changed. Like we were we were in the division with with Peyton Manning, and then we played against Tom Brady in the in the playoffs twice. And one one of the games, I think he went 27, 27 for twenty nine. I mean, it's just like, like it, like you have to score points. Offense matters. That's why defensive head coaches, I mean, defensive I coordinators aren't getting jobs anymore. This is the exact reason. Same same thing happened well, in Oakland. It, 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 yeah, I mean, the reality is with these deep. This is back to our initial conversation. The hard part about hiring a defensive coach, even if he is a younger guy. Like you say, even if he's a younger black guy, so you're going to get some credit for doing that. Most of the time, they've been taught by these older school guys. So your football philosophies are just based on who teaches you the sport. You know, it's hard to be a progressive thinker if you just learn from, you know, an old school guy. And most times, if you're a younger coach, you just learn from an older coach. You know, it's just just the nature. So you're going to go into these meetings, interviewing with the owner, and you're going to talk about smash mouth and toughness. And they'd rather hear about touchdowns and go rounds. <laughs> oh man, dude, I would love to sit in in an owners meeting with coaches and see what kind of questions that that they ask. If they ask the same stupidity that they ask the players at the at, at the combine. What I wonder too is, do a lot of them want you to say certain things about the players that they like on their own team? Or are they willing to hear criticism? Because I think everyone <clears throat> like looks at Washington. Whoever gets the Washington job is going to be someone that tells Dan Snyder they like Dwayne Haskins. So, to me, that would be my, if I was a coach interviewing with them, that would be my number one talking point. I like Dwayne Haskins. And then once you get there, you don't have to like him, but that's what you tell him in the interview. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. All right, John Middlecoff, guys, uh, I appreciate you joining us on Rice or Wrong today. Appreciate your time, man. And you have been great, awesome. Talked about so many great, great things. I appreciate it, John. You guys do not forget to listen to Three and Out with John Middlecoff. You can find it anywhere, part of the Colin Coward Podcast Network. The man is doing great things, and I wouldn't be surprised if if if, if there's like a, a what we saw a live stream in your future as well. Thanks, bro. Uh, well, I, a simulcast. I, I hope so. Talk to you soon, man. Yep. Have a good day. Okay, peace out.